0: This is Eric Corey, and thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. Now, what you're about to hear is something you have not heard before. I promise a different story, and I plan on delivering one, this time on the subject of news and the media. Now, when it comes to news consumption, I always go to many different sources of news before I form my own opinion about the truth of things. Today, we have literally hundreds of news outlets providing accounts of what's happening around the world and here at home, and we only need one convenient handheld device to see and hear it all. But it hasn't always been that way. And with the magic of historical perspective, I would like to give you that different story. In the early 1960s, when television first became a fixture in everyone's living room, news reporting was only available between the hours of 6 p.m. and 7 p.m., and only on three television stations. Sure, you can get your news from the radio, but in the early days of television, the radio quickly became passe, and the TV was the go-to source for news for everyone. We would all tune into CBS and NBC or ABC to see their authoritative anchors tell us what's happening around the world. Now, Their word was gospel, and, and no one, and I mean no one, would ever question their integrity or truthfulness. If a guy like Walter Cronkite said it, well, it was true. No questions asked. We didn't discuss his reporting as something that was questionable or biased. It was freaking Walter Cronkite, the nation's anchorman delivering the unvarnished truth. Now, we have come a long way from those days, but have we really? The most telling thing about those times was disclosed during a post-retirement interview with Mr. Cronkite. When he was asked... What will be the one thing you will miss the most now that you're no longer the nightly news anchor? His response was, setting the agenda for America. Now think about that for a moment. A news reporter on a for-profit television station admitting that they set the agenda for what America is to be talking about. Setting the agenda. In other words, establishing our nation's priorities based upon decisions made in an editorial meeting held in an office of some media newsroom. See, there were no competing sources for news at that time. No Twitter, no Facebook, no CNN, no Fox News, no MSNBC. And certainly none of the thousands of social media outlets claiming to report the news of the day that exists today. I mean, literally, just three TV stations providing the entire nation the news of the day in one hour. And that was it. It must be unimaginable to anyone under the age of 40 that that's how we became informed. But... That's how it was. I mean, sure, there were newspapers and magazines, but that news was days old by the time it reached a reader. The only real-time access to news happened only during that one hour, five nights a week, on this newfangled television machine that was, at the time, cutting-edge technology. It wasn't until the late 1950s before television was a luxury that was in most homes, and only 70% of homes had TV prior to the mid-1960s. But soon after that, TV became as much an essential part of every American home as indoor plumbing. We were glued to the boob tube and there was no going back. There was no alternative and and nothing could compete with this level of in-home entertainment. These primetime news programs were the most highly viewed broadcast and by far the most profitable production for these new corporations known as the American Broadcasting Company and the National Broadcasting Company and the Columbia Broadcasting System. That last one is CBS, uh, not something out of Central America. They just wanted to separate themselves from the other two with a unique moniker. But the key component of my point here is that you must understand that from 1954 to 1994, what can be called the formative years of television, their only access to information coming from the federal government through the various elected officials and their committees, as well as all the big government agencies, had to go through the Democratic Party because they were in charge. The Democrats had absolute control over everything that happened in Washington, D.C. for those 40 years. Because for 40 consecutive years, starting in 1954, the Democrats controlled both houses of Congress. For 40 years in a row, they held a firm majority of seats in the House and the Senate. They chaired all the committees and all of Congress and therefore controlled the entire body of the federal government for four consecutive decades. As a news reporter in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, well, you had no choice if you wanted to access the halls of government and all the goings on there. You had to be a Democrat. And if you had any hope of getting a scoop or access to the information you needed to do your job, well, it was through the Democratic Party. And if you dare step out of line by reporting anything but the party line, you will lose that access and most likely lose your job. See, not only did the Democrats control all the legislation put forth and passed during those 40 consecutive years, but they absolutely controlled the dissemination of any news that came out of Washington during that time. It was nearly impossible to gain one inch of access to the information that was needed to produce a news report without complete adherence to what the Democratic Party wanted you to say and wanted the people to see. Now, I'm not implying that there's anything wrong with that. It's just the fact that during those early days of television, you had no alternative other than to bow to the will of the Democratic Party when it came to the collection of information that made up your nightly news broadcast. These deep alliances are still alive and well in the 21st century, and the primary reason that all the major news outlets are run by lifelong Democrats. It was a matter of survival to be so, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. It was expeditious at the time, and it's simply still a matter-of-fact today. How many surveys have been performed in recent years that confirm these political alliances through the accounting of financial donations made to the two major parties by journalists and reporters and news anchors? The Center for Political Integrity did one such survey during the 2016 presidential elections, and they found that 96% of journalists and reporters who contributed money to a presidential candidate sent that money to Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. The Media Research Center, While they researched the Federal Election Commission reporting from 2008 to 2016 and reported that number at 94%. 94% of reporters and journalists for the major news reporting outlets as contributing to Democratic candidates and their causes. And also, MSNBC, they performed analysis of donations from editors and reporters made to Democratic candidates using the FEC reporting... And from 2004 to 2007, they placed that number at 87%. Now, I would agree that anything can be argued by using small samplings from a few sources and cherry-picking statistics. But this trend is well-known, and it's universally accepted. I'm just trying to validate my argument by citing a few of these sources to, to lend weight to my claims. It's in trying to understand the reasons why the major news outlets across the country are predominantly left-leaning, that I offer this lesson of historical perspective as the cause. The reasons are clearly systemic, and even those who perpetuate the trend admit to their political bias. The important thing now is for everyone to understand why and accept that what you are hearing on ABC and NBC and MSNBC and CNN and PBS and CBS and reading in the LA Times or New York Times, as well as other numerous reputable news outlets, is not reporting of news to inform, but rather the reporting of news in order to shape opinion. To further illustrate my point, I'll give you another example of what I believe to be proof positive of a coordination of efforts that exist among the major news outlets, and that they are not reporting news as much as they are echo chambers for their political party of choice. I call it the gravitas effect. In the spring of 2000, during the first George W. Bush presidential campaign, And after he was selected as a Republican candidate, he named Dick Cheney as his vice-presidential running mate. Now, if anyone honestly remembers how George W. Bush was depicted by the broadcast media in those days, well, he was nothing more than a coke-snorting daddy's boy with no discernible skills to hold the highest office of the land. Now, despite the fact that he held two degrees from Harvard and Yale, he had over 600 hours of flight time behind the wheel of the world's most sophisticated airplanes, and was the two-term governor of Texas... He was nonetheless unqualified, according to an unbiased media. Now, his selection of Dick Cheney was reported as his attempt to lend gravitas to his candidacy. Now, that term gravitas, well, it was used numerous times by various news reporters, both on TV and in print, to describe the reasons for his selection of Cheney. All across the major news outlets, over the course of two or three days, it was as if the media learned a new word. Around that time, a well-known conservative radio personality created a montage of reporters using that term. And by my count, over the course of two consecutive days, the term gravitas was used by 24 different reporters on seven different cable and broadcast outlets that all said the same exact thing, that Bush selected Cheney for the gravitas he would bring to the ticket. Now, in my mind, and I would expect in the minds of every other reasonable-thinking person, there is no way that this obscure description could have been coincidentally chosen by all of these people at the same time. This talking point was clearly generated from a single source and provided to all these news reporting outlets who obediently used the term to create a single narrative that Bush was an idiot and needed someone with gravitas to legitimize his candidacy. Now I hope to explain the why. The bigger question is the who. Now, since that time, many other outlets have put together similar montages of these same cable and broadcast media outlets, all using the same term to describe different situations. And trust me, they are numerous, and they would be hilarious if not for the lack of independent thinking that pervades these sources of so-called news reporting. I recently got into a heated discussion about the term fake news with a very close relative and one of the smartest people I know. He argued that this term fake news was obscenely and incorrectly used by President Trump for the last four years. He said he called the news fake in an attempt to distract from his many failures. He yeah, had the failures as reported by the broadcast and cable reporting outlets that he consumed. Now, I argued my points, as previously noted, and hoped to explain that what you are hearing from these Main Street reporting agencies are distorted because of their natural political biases, and that faking news was a means to disgrace and demean the president so that he would not be reelected, It was simple politics. I pointed out that even the most uber-liberal writer that we know, a gentleman named Matt Taibbi from the Rolling Stone, a magazine we both enjoyed, well, he recently penned a lengthy article calling Donald Trump, quote, the most lied about president in history. Now, I won't bore you with a partisan itemization of all the news reporting on Donald Trump that can be demonstrably shown as fake, but I would like to comment on one fake story that has always stuck in my crawl and that continues to be perpetuated to this day. My head exploded the other day when, during a recent interview with Barack Obama, he criticized Trump for putting children in cages on the Mexican border. Now I know you've all heard that Trump caged undocumented children because he's a heartless racist. Now, Regardless of your political leanings, such vulgarity and outright mistruth should be offensive to the extreme. These cages were built during the Obama years to protect unaccompanied minors during the processing of people who use these children to go to the front of the line while trying to cross the border illegally. It's an immovable fact that those with a political axe to grind just continue to ignore. The practice was not only not started by Trump, but was effectively ended during his term as president through executive orders. The fact that this claim that Donald Trump caged children is still believed by many to be true and the sheer arrogance of the man who actually did start this practice is mind-blowing. And I don't care if my partisan position on this matter offends you. What should be offensive is that your political predisposition is being used against you to manipulate your opinion under the guise of truth. Because they know that you will accept this deceptive news reporting as long as it's in line with your political leanings. Now, I have no problem with journalists taking a strong position to support their view of how America should be. But what I do have a problem with is that they are reporting opinion as news and that otherwise intelligent and reasonable people who look to these institutions for fair and honest reporting are being duped and they're okay with it. That's the part that freaks me out. This is Eric Corey, and thank you for listening to my podcast.